everybody. It's me and Sam. The co- uh, Well, Sam's a co-host. I'm the host of Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation of all of life. And specifically with us, we have Marsha, who's going to be helping us better understand not only her story coming out of a lot of new age and occult stuff, um, but she's also going to, she's going to share some of her story with us, but then we're also, she's going to help us understand what new age spirituality is and what that means exactly what that is and then how that's kind of becoming a pretty popular and even invading some churches as well so i hope you guys enjoy this uh installment of our show and we're really looking forward to this we've been had this on the back burner for quite some time so we're super excited for marcia to be with us how are you doing marcia hi nate i'm doing pretty well thanks thanks for having me as a guest yeah thanks for coming and then did i mention sam's here did i say that you did, yeah. I, okay. I okay, just making sure. Because <laughs> sometimes I skip our own host, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Marsha, who are you? And uh, maybe you can share us your yeah, share your testimony with us. Okay, sure. Thank you. Uh, yes. Um, well, uh, Marsha Montenegro, I have a ministry, full-time ministry, Christian Answers for the New Age that I've been doing full-time for 23 years. And uh, that involves um, speaking, writing, a lot of speaking and writing, um, answering questions from people. <laughs> That's like a huge part of it. And especially, you know, on Facebook where people message you with questions or ask you in the comments section, I'm always answering questions. So that's a huge part of it. Um, but it deals with the new age and the occult. And um, my ministry is to educate Christians on what the new age and the occult are and hopefully equip them to not just be better informed so they can be more discerning, but also so they can be more equipped to talk to people in those areas. Uh, And then I also interact with people in those areas and reach out to those people uh, so that I can share, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, that's, those are the two main goals of my ministry. And I myself was in the new age for many, many years. I got interested really very young um, in astrology, probably by the time I was 15 I was interested in astrology. I was interested in like the powers of the mind, like psychic powers, um, you know, fortune tellers, ghosts, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I was very, very intrigued by, and I would get books, uh, not all the time, but from time to time, I would get books to read that it wasn't those things weren't as available then. And I didn't have the means to go buy a lot of things. And of course there wasn't the internet because, you know, we're going back to the dark ages there. (laughs) The pre-internet, the dark ages. Um, So, you know, it was harder to obtain material on those things. Um, But I, I did, I, I did read some stuff. I was interested. I, I had been going to different churches because uh, my mother, who had been raised Baptist, Southern Baptist, believed that you should go to church, or children especially should go to church. My father was an agnostic. 
Um, so he, he would sometimes go to church, but he was not, you know, that, that wasn't his thing. That was, but he didn't mind that my sister and I, my mother would make my sister and me go to church. So we went to, um, we lived overseas too, because my father was a foreign service officer. So, um, when we lived overseas, you don't have a lot of choices of churches. It was kind of these, like, like an army generic Protestant service or something. And I, I really, my memory of, of that is very, very vague. I don't feel like I learned anything <laughs> except maybe a few songs or something. Um, now, when we came back to this country and I was a teenager, I started going to a Baptist church and I went to Sunday school. I went to the youth group. Um, but for some reason, I never, I'm not saying I never heard the gospel, but I never got it. And so uh, I just had this kind of vague idea about Jesus and God and that you were supposed to be a good person. Um, and that was kind of how I saw myself. Like, that's what a Christian is. You're a good person and you go to church. Uh, so that was that was where I was. So because of that, <laughs> um, in high school, I started questioning things. I had friends who were not Christians. Um, and they were in, into other religions. I mean, one was Mormon, one was a Baha'i, one was a Quaker, and one was uh, called herself a free thinker. And um, they all were very passionate about their beliefs. So I, I started getting interested, not necessarily in any of those, although I liked the pacifism of the Quaker. I wasn't really interested in, in following any of those in particular, but it made me think that I could explore other options that I did not have to be a Christian. And of course, you know, I wasn't really a Christian anyway to begin with, but I kind of called myself, or I guess I thought of myself as one. So I decided that I would just explore when I got older, like when I went away to college, I would have more opportunities um, and later to explore things. And so that's what I did in college to a certain extent. After college, uh, I had more time, did more reading. I got very interested in contact with the dead. Uh, for a while, that really, really intrigued me. I did a lot of reading on it. Um, I was also still had my interest in astrology, um, palm, you know, palm reading, all of those kind of things, psychics. Uh, I also had become interested in Eastern religions in college. And that eventually led to a more serious plunge into that area. So I, I had a lot going on. I had this interest in all these things I mentioned. <laughs> and then that developed into an interest. Uh, later, I had the interest in the Eastern religions and I was reading books on Hindu beliefs, reincarnation, I read, um, you know, then I got, the, okay, so I, that was, that happened. Then I got into a Tibetan Buddhist group and I, the leader of that group, I don't know if he would call himself a leader, but he taught me how to do the meditation. And I went every week to this group and they would have the, a meditation, I think for about 45 minutes. And then they would have a speaker. And then afterwards, you would kind of mingle and talk. 
and I did this for a while and got, I read, the thing is I read the books by their leader who was um, named Choigam Choigam Trungpa, Choigam Trungpa, C-H-O-G-Y-A-M-T-R-U-N-G-P-A. He died, I think in the late 80s, but at that time he was um, the head of one of the four schools of Tibetan Buddhism. The Dalai Lama is the head of a certain school of Tibetan Buddhism. He's not the head of all Tibetan Buddhism, but he's the official head of the Tibet. He was kind of put in that position. Um, So he's kind of seeing like a lot of people identify him with Tibetan Buddhism, but then there are other streams of Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, And so this was another stream, but this guy is very famous in this country because he founded the Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado, which um, is still exists, is still talked about. A lot of new agers go there. It's very influential. He founded the Naropa Institute. All right, so I don't want to, I'm going too far into one direction here, so let me pull back. <laughs> um, I, I had some supernatural experiences you know, when I was younger in college. And that made me more intrigued with the world of the supernatural. So that and the Tibetan Buddhism were all going on in the, um, uh, another thing that was going on is that I went to a class called Inner Light Consciousness. And we had different, like every evening, different teachings and exercises. And these were all very new age things. Um, you know, dream interpretation, visualizing healing and sending healing, like how, how, like if you want to heal someone, like what you see in your mind, this kind of thing. And we also did a guided meditation every night. And on the last night, the uh, teacher told us we would meet our spiritual master. And so at the end of the meditation, he said, you will meet your spiritual master. He will be with you the rest of your life. And you can do this meditation to contact him, but eventually you won't need to do this to contact him. You will just be able to contact him directly and he'll contact, he can contact you. So I did meet my uh, quote unquote spiritual master. And of course, I'm talking about a disembodied entity here. I'm not talking about a human person of flesh and blood. Um, And really, after that, things just really accelerated for me. I um, didn't stay with Tibetan Buddhism. I moved into Zen Buddhism. And that's where I remained, uh, really, until I became a Christian. I did a lot of reading. I went to Zen Buddhist groups and meditated with them. I, I really had a partial, my part of my worldview was Zen Buddhist, not all of it, but part of it. I believed in reincarnation. I'd started believing in that very early on. And astrology remained an interest. So I became a professional astrologer. And uh, this was all in Atlanta, Georgia, by the way. And in Atlanta, the astrologers there had set up this special thing Um, it had been illegal to practice astrology because it was classified as fortune telling. And a lot of cities and counties, uh, you know, localities 
have laws on the books against fortune telling. And so the astrologers had, had a, um, was actually a particular city councilman who knew one of the astrologers. They decided they would introduce this, this um, I don't know, law that, that in order to practice astrology legally in the city limits, you had to prove you knew it. So you would have to take an exam to show you knew it. And then if you passed, you could purchase a business license. You would have to, you would have, to have the business license also to practice legally. Otherwise they could fine you. So this was a way to keep out the scam artists who don't really know astrology, but pretend they do. And then, because there's really two, there's two sets of um, people, two types of people in these areas. There's the con artists who are very good at getting your money. And that's their primary goal. They're not really they don't what they do they may know about what they do but they don't really a lot of it they just they're just good at reading people um <laughs> and then there's the people who are like spiritually involved with these ideas and see them as a spiritual path and of course most of these people are new agers um, so that's what I was, and I'm not trying to say they're necessarily better than the scam artists. They're both equally wrong, but they are very different. Um, so, I mean, I was very serious about astrology and I wanted to do it to help people. Um, I didn't, I knew I wouldn't make a lot of money with it and I didn't, uh, you couldn't make a lot of money with it unless you just had a lot of clients and you saw them, saw several of them every day. Um, and you had to get pretty well known to do that, which was a hard thing to do in Atlanta. I mean, even though there was, uh, we had a big astrological organization there, um, you really have to build up your business. It takes a while. So I became an astrologer and I did gradually build up my business. I was involved, very active in the Astrological Society, and I was on the board of astrology examiners, and that's the board that formulated and graded the exam that was given to all these people who wanted to get a business license. So, and by the way, the exam is seven hours long. It's not, and it's not an easy exam. Only about half the people who took it would pass. So I was, I became a professional astrologer, became very involved. I was still doing my Zen Buddhist meditation every day. Um, I had also taken classes like um, past life regression, psychic development, numerology. I had tarot cards. Um, I, had, I had been in seances. So, you know, I had my fingers in a lot of different areas, but my focus was astrology. Um, I had a lot of clients who were Wiccans and witches. So because I did astrology, I knew, I knew a lot of people in all these areas. I knew the Wiccans and witches and the psychics and the mediums who contacted the dead and the clairvoyants and the tarot card readers. <laughs> I had a lot of them were my clients and or friends. So I had this really big community of people that were in these areas. So I, because of that, you know, I, I learned a lot about all this stuff. Um, I became an astrology teacher and I actually was teaching astrology also. So, okay, so there I am. I'm 
very hostile to Christianity, which I see as a narrow, a narrow-minded religion for people who are not as spiritually evolved as I was. So they were kind of, you know, they're still, in my mind, Christians uh, needed someone to tell them what to believe, and they had to follow a book, and they were so very limited, and they didn't really understand, they didn't really understand true spirituality. Um, but because I believed in reincarnation, I believed one day, you know, they would eventually evolve and, you know, finally find a spiritual path uh, like I had, you know, and I, <laughs> this is very, you can see how elitist and really um, er, kind of arrogant this, this viewpoint is, you know, so, so that's where I was and and so what happened is that, uh, that I started getting this very strange compulsion to go to a church, which seemed to come from nowhere. And I couldn't understand it. And I'm like, why, why do I feel like I need to go to a church? Because I really didn't want to go to a church. So I just really ignored it. But it was there for several months. And, and it became so strong that I finally decided one day I would go to a church. So I went to this large church in downtown Atlanta, very different from a Baptist church. <laughs> I didn't want to go to anything familiar. I wanted to go to something different. And I decided that I would only stay for like 15 minutes. So I sat in the back and I sat at the end of the pew so that I could leave um, without disturbing anybody. But my thinking was that this was probably something from a previous Christian life. There was some kind of issue that I had to understand. And maybe that was why I needed to go to a church because going to the church would help me understand what that issue was. So that was my way to um, kind of rationalize going into the church. So the very, at the, the, so I'm sitting there, the service begins and everybody stands up. And they have a procession from the back of the aisle, which was also something I wasn't very familiar with. I had been to a few churches like, kind of like that, but I wasn't super familiar with it. But we all stood up and these, the, the uh, ministers and the choir walked from the back of the church towards the front of the church down the aisle and they were all led by a young boy carrying a cross. And as he walked by me, this very strange thing happened. I felt uh, what I call a waterfall of love falling on me from above. And um, I knew that this was from God, a personal God, telling me he loved me. But I didn't believe in a personal God. See, I believe God was a force or an energy. But yet I knew this was from a personal God. So it's like I had these two contradictory things in my head. There's God's an energy and a force. And I'm part of that force. I'm part of that energy. And here's a personal God telling me he loves me. So I really, I couldn't process it. But it was very powerful. And I actually was crying. And I ended up staying for the whole service. And then I decided to go back the following Sunday. Because I thought, you know, I'll just, I'm just going to go there and kind of see what this is about. I, you know, I don't really even know. I didn't expect that to happen again, but I just went back and I kept going back every Sunday. 
Um, this church had a very formal um, or fairly formal liturgy. Uh, they would read scriptures and they'd read from the Book of Common Prayer. So yes, this was an Episcopal church. And so uh, now and then, you know, they would say the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I, I noticed that it had this effect on me when they said his name. Um, I didn't really understand anything, but I was also going to a Sunday school class. And then I was in a smaller group that was meeting with the rector of the parish. I, I didn't get in this group right away, but I did not too long after this um, because of somebody I met there. She talked me into it. <laughs> and um, in this group, this was mainly people interested in being confirmed in the Episcopal Church. But, you know, I said, well, I'm not planning on being confirmed. And they said, oh, that's okay. You can come anyway. So I was like, okay. So I, I went and the rector was going through the gospel of Mark and he would, he would read from it and then talk. And I would sit there and listen. And I, I really didn't understand, you know, I mean, I understood it mentally what he was saying, but I didn't really understand what it was about. You know, oh, I'm sorry, that's my phone and it's over there. I can't turn it off. I hope you can't hear it. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. It's not loud. Okay. At all. Okay. Um, and I, um, I, I, you know, but I was going there. It's like I was being drawn there. And uh, I, I just kind of, I carried on with, with my life the way it was. And I even had a few people there interested in, having their astrology chart done. So I thought, oh, well, you know, I might get some clients here. <laughs> so I saw it kind of like, you know, this is a good opportunity for me. <laughs> I'll get some more clients. Um, and within a few short weeks, I started getting this impression that God did not like astrology. Now, I kind of knew astrology and Christianity didn't really mix, but this was like God letting me know he did not like it. And I mean, I didn't hear a voice or anything. It was just this impression. And it was very strong. But of course, you know, I ignored it because I didn't want to think about God not liking it because I was doing astrology. So I didn't want to think I was doing something that he didn't like. And pretty soon it became an impression. Uh, and this one was very, this really upset me or disturbed me. It was an impression he wanted me to give it up. And I was like, huh, you know, I'm, I've been doing this for years now. I kind of, I have all these regular clients. I write for, I was writing for new age magazines. I was, I was a speaker. I, well, I had just finished being president of the astrological society and I was chairperson of the curriculum committee. And I was on a couple of other committees. So my life was very, you know, entangled with the astrological society um and i was thinking you know i can't you know i can't um i can't possibly give this up so that's you know maybe god will kind of forget about it <laughs> i mean really i did not understand who god was you know i just was aware he was there and i I went on kind of resisting this, that I had to give it up. Now, I do want to say at this point, uh, what had happened the year before is that my marriage had ended. I was married and had a young son. 
And um, one of my clients offered me a part-time job uh, where he worked, but he wanted me to give him astrological information on the employees secretly. And that's why he hired me. So I was at this job part-time where he and I would have these discussions now and then about people in the office or things going on. And he wanted my insight and what he saw as my wisdom on it as an astrologer. And that's what he was paying me for. And uh, so I was getting income from that. And that's why I was at that job. And I was also doing my astrology practice. Okay. I had, I was still doing that. So that's where I am at this point when I'm getting this um, impression, God wants me to give astrology up because not only does this mean I won't have my clients anymore, but it means this job, I can't do the job anymore. And I'm a single mother with, you know, a child to feed and pay the rent for and buy clothes for. So this was quite a scary thing for me, but it was so powerful that I actually gave astrology up. I made a decision the night before Thanksgiving. Now, when I went into the church, it was Labor Day weekend. When I first walked in and had that experience of the waterfall of love, that was Labor Day weekend. Now it's the night before Thanksgiving. It's about, um, you know, two and a half months later. And um, I decide to give it up. And I don't know what's going to happen. My boss was away. He was away on this leave and he was going to come back till January. So I couldn't tell him. And he had left me with busy work. So I was really just doing this busy work at, at the, my part-time job. But I had to start telling my clients, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. And so some of them would say, well, why? Why aren't you doing it? And I'd say, well, I don't know why, but somehow it's separating me from God. And so some of them would say, what? You know, how, how, how? And I would say, I don't know, because I really did not understand. This to me is the amazing thing about what God did, because here you have this successful astrologer with a lot of clients, you know, somewhat well-known. I even had people overseas writing me to do their charts because I would do long distance charts. I would look at their chart and I would record what I saw in it on a cassette tape and, and mail it to them. So that's what I was doing some of that. They didn't have to be there. They didn't have to be there in person for me to do their chart. Um, and here I am giving it up. You know, now all my friends are, a lot of my friends, of course, all my friends knew I was an astrologer and I had all these friends, you know, who were psychics and other astrologers and all this. And I thought, you know, this is just so strange because I'm basically cutting myself off from everybody I know. And I don't even understand why. I think it's very interesting that God did this. God didn't save me. I wasn't saved yet. God didn't save me and then have me give astrology up. Or, and I wasn't saved and at the same time gave astrology up. I gave astrology up before I was saved. And at this point, the night before Thanksgiving, okay, it's the end of November. And so I decide after I finished doing the charts I had already scheduled, I decided I would just start reading the Bible 
and so this now we're into early December. I start reading a little bit of the Bible every night. I start with Matthew chapter one, verse one, because I'm kind of an organized person. So I'm not going to read randomly. I'm going to pick something and start from the beginning and be chronological about it. Uh, and I didn't want to read the Old Testament, which to me was really like very confusing. So I just started reading in the New Testament in Matthew. And about uh, four days before Christmas, I was in Matthew chapter eight and I was reading an account of Jesus on the boat with the disciples and the storm and he rebukes the sea and the wind and the sea and the wind obey him and I'm re and something about that that just I don't know it just really got to me it really it really captured me I I, I can't explain it and I kept rereading it and as I was rereading it God opened my eyes and I saw who Jesus really was. I mean, it's the first time I really understood who Jesus was as the son of God, as a savior, why he died on the cross. I knew kind of those stories, but I had never understood them. They never had any real meaning for me. And now all of a sudden that had that had meaning for me. And I realized I had been on a wrong spiritual path my whole life, that I had been you know, following another God and another Jesus, not the real God and the real Jesus. And I just gave my life over to Christ at that moment. And I immediately I knew I was a different person. I mean, this was all this happened in a matter of seconds. So this, this was clearly, you know, the Holy Spirit. Um, and so needless to say, my, my life changed very drastically. <laughs> it had already changed somewhat when I gave astrology up, but now it really changed. And, um, oh, there goes my phone again. <laughs> I meant to turn it off, sorry. So, You're perfectly fine. Okay, so I, um, I don't know, my life really changed then. And eventually I, you know, the, my boss came back. I explained what happened to him. He was very nice. He kept me on with busy work for a while, but eventually I had to leave that job for various reasons. So that's, that's it. I don't know how long I took to explain that. Was that like 30 minutes or something? My, my, I, my, I lost my watch today. So I'm like trying to see what it's time it is on the computer. I'm horrible yeah, at math, about, but yeah. It's a little more than 30 minutes. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. I, I wanted to kind of keep it to 30 minutes, but I'm not too far past that. Wow. Um, so anyway, so now what, so what, it, so now I'll jump into what is the new age? Cause I mentioned I was in the new age and maybe from what I said about my story, you can kind of guess what, what it kind of is, but most people really have a hard time. They, they hear the term and they have some ideas about it but they often, they don't really understand it. They, can't, they couldn't really define it if someone asked them to define it. Or, you know, what's even worse is they may have the wrong idea about what it is <laughs> and define it wrongly or something. So, because uh, there's just a lot, so much stuff out there and the new age is very, very vast. And the way I break it down is that it comes from three main sources. Uh, the first one is Gnosticism. Okay, so we can go back to the early church and the writings, even in Colossians and 1 John, where they are refuting some of the early Gnostic teachings. Now, Gnosticism didn't really um, mature as a 
religion or actually several different forms of Gnostic religions until the second century. But the beginnings of it were there in the early church at the time of the early church because there were people coming into the church with these teachings that were confusing some of the believers. <laughs> um, so the Gnostic ideas of the, which they believed that matter was evil and you know, spirit, spirit is good, but matter is evil. So in the new age, they don't really, they don't say matter is evil, but they say matter is a, a lower, denser form of energy. And you, you are really spirit, you're spiritual in the sense that, that the real you or the spiritual you is not in material form. So uh, there's this idea that whoever you are, the body doesn't really matter. The body's just a vehicle. So this is a very Gnostic view, even though New Agers are, are really big on health and natural, you know, natural food, what they call natural medicine, which is not really medicine, um, all that kind of stuff, because they think that creation, nature is sacred and there's a divine energy in everything. They think everything is imbued with divine energy. So you want to interfere with that as little as possible. So you try to be quote unquote natural. Um, and and the, the reason that they're health oriented and body oriented is because they believe that the body reflects your spiritual state. So if you are sick, if you get sick or you're having pain, they try to find usually a spiritual cause for it, or they believe there is a spiritual cause. And their healing methods involve treating the, in what they call the invisible or subtle body. A lot of the subtle body is based on Hinduism and the view of all these invisible um, channels in the body called meridians. Well, actually that's in Taoism, but it's very similar in Hinduism that there's all these inner uh, channels I'm reading this uh, a 400 plus page book on the roots of yoga and it's just unbelievable. It goes back into historic documents on yoga and all about, I already knew some of this stuff, but the, the, it's all rooted in this idea of, the, of these channels and regulating the flow of um, prana, which is the, enter, the vital energy and vital force in the body. And the um, mirror of that in, in Taoism is the chi the chi energy and the meridians, which are the channels. So, you know, which came first, I don't know, but they're, but in that way, they're very similar. So new agers are into these ideas. And so they believe in the chakras, you know, which a lot of people know from yoga, the seven centers of the, of the body that of course actually don't exist. The seven energy centers. So anyway, I know I've gotten off, off topic here, but I am talking about new age healing. So it fits in with everything, but it has, it's based on this Gnostic and Eastern religion views and Eastern religions is the second big category the new age comes from and Eastern religions themselves are very Gnostic. So there's a compatibility there because in Eastern religions like in Taoism and Hinduism and Buddhism, the world as it is does not really exist. It doesn't really have su a substantive existence. And what you're seeing is either an illusion or it's just this temporary form 
um, and it will fall away um, and um, or it's like oh, it's, everything's energy. So nothing is really truly solid, which is an idea in the new age. So there's like this kind of Gnostic thing there too, where the, it's kind of a denial of the material world. It's what they call, you know, world, world denying religions um, in terms of that, that, that area of it anyway. So Eastern religions is the second big category. So you have Gnosticism, Eastern religions, and that would be primarily Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism that the new age draws on. And then the third category is uh, the category of new thought. Now, new thought was a movement that really began um, mainly in this country. Um, and it, the, the roots of it go back really to the 18th century and not to everybody in this country. So some of them, like one man, Swedenborg was actually in Sweden. He's one of the, I can see Sam nodding his head. He knows who he is, right? <laughs> Swedenborg. Um, is sometimes called like the grandfather of New Thought. Uh, but then there were a lot of people in this country. And in the 1800s, there was a movement of spiritualism. Now, spiritualism was contact with the dead. And there was a lot of different factions of people who did that with different ideas and different teachings. And different groups would meet and they would, you know, try to contact the dead, get messages from the dead. Um, spiritualism and new thought actually new thought came out of spiritualism they were very much connected in the in the early days of new thought uh, and you can still see little hints of it today although today we if you went to the new thought churches you wouldn't find spiritualism going on but you can see some hints of it in the literature even from you know the 20th century so uh New thought, now, what does new thought believe? New thought, the main ideas of new thought are that um, we are perceiving reality wrongly and we are perceiving God wrongly. We think that we're separated from God, but we're not. We actually have never been separated from God. Uh, Jesus came, they, oh, they believe in Jesus and the new thought movement as it developed and, and coalesced um, in the late uh, 1800s and early 20th century, they believed, they call themselves Christians, and they will talk about Jesus a lot. They write about Jesus, they talk about Jesus, but Jesus was a spiritual teacher who understood you had to change your perception, and that's what he came to teach. So they, they give another meaning to everything Jesus said. One of their favorite verses is, it's in the King James, uh, the kingdom of God is within. Okay, and actually, you know, if you read other versions that doesn't say that, it'll say the kingdom of God is in your midst because Jesus was actually speaking to some Pharisees who had rejected him as the Messiah. So he was hardly telling them that they had the kingdom of God in them when they were rejecting the very son of God. <laughs> so it, wasn't, it wasn't like, oh yeah, you're rejecting me, but you have the kingdom of God in you. No, that's not what he said. He said, you, I am, you know, basically the kingdom of God is in your midst. I have come here to usher in the kingdom of God. I'm right here in your face and you're denying it. It was really a rebuke to them. 
sense, but they take it, you know, and they, they say, well, the kingdom of God is within us. This is like a big, big idea, new thought. So the, so new thought ended up uh, giving birth to three main churches, the Christian science church, which I think most people have heard of unity, which probably a lot of people have, it used to be called unity of school of Christianity. And that's usually just called unity. Uh, and then the Church of Religious Science was another area. Um, and actually, they changed their name several years ago to the Centers for Spiritual Living. I don't know why, but they did. So they have a different name. <laughs> but these, these uh, the New Thought, all share this common thing about Christ. Um, God is a sort of energy. We're all part of God. We all have a divine nature. And when you realize, especially in unity, you, you will hear when you realize you have, you have this divine nature, you achieve Christ consciousness. So Christ consciousness is the awareness of the reality of your divine nature and what reality is. Now the new age took that and some of the other ideas of, from new thought. It draws on that. So that idea of Christ consciousness is very common in the new age, but it comes from new thought and new thought and the new age are still distinct movements. They are not one in the same. They, they did not merge. You know, it's not like, oh, they're now the same thing. No, there's still new thought out there. There's a huge new thought website where they put up a lot of writings and even full books of new thought teachers. And I'll give you an example of New Thought in our day that a lot of people might have heard of. Um, I mean, you know, not that long ago, this was very popular, but some people, if they're kind of young, they may not know. It's called um, The Secret. The Secret was a video and a book that Oprah promoted and hugely popular. They could not keep, I had a friend at the time who worked in a bookstore and he said they could not keep that book on the shelf. He said they no sooner would they put those books up on the shelf than they would go out the door. He said, we can't keep them on the shelf. And I myself was writing an article on it and I had to wait till it was republished to get a copy. I had the DVD, but I didn't have the book. The book was completely sold out everywhere. You couldn't get it. We had to wait for the publisher to publish another edition, which he did. And it was the biggest, I can't remember the publisher now. I don't know if it was, I, I could be wrong. So I'm thinking maybe it was Random House, but I, it might not have been. That was their biggest republishing, reprinting of any book they'd ever had in their history. So that's how popular it was. The Secret is nothing but rehashed new thought. That's exactly what it is. So you think, it's the idea of power of your thoughts and words. You think, when you want something, you, you can manifest it by thinking about it um, or by speaking it and you focus on it. And if you believe that it will happen, it will happen. So there's that part of it. Now, not everyone in the new age is into that. Not all of them are going around with that idea that I can manifest things into reality. Although there is a general idea that you bring things into reality according to what you do. So if you're if you're being very negative about things, then you'll bring negative things into your life. You'll get sick, you'll have a car accident, you know, you'll be mugged or something like that. If you're positive and you're putting out positive thoughts and energy, then it's more likely that you'll draw positive things to you. That's very new thought. 
and not all new agers would think that way or believe it, but a lot of them do. Because uh, then you have the new agers who really are into the Gnostic side of things, or they're really into the Eastern religion side of things. And they would not necessarily find those ideas appealing or believe in them. So what I'm trying to say is there's a big spectrum in the new age. And you can have people at this end of it and other people at this end of it. And then you have people in the middle <laughs> that are drawing from maybe all of it or some of it. So you have this huge mishmash. And this is one reason it is so hard to define and identify. It's simply because it's just so vast. It has so many different faces. And the other reason that makes it so deceptive is that the new age is very fluid and adaptable. And it tends to just flow through the culture and it picks up words and terms and ideas and then puts other meanings in it. And then it gets used in a new age meaning. Now it's not, nobody's engineering this. It's not like there's a group of people in a little tower somewhere <laughs> that are like, okay, now we're going to go after this and we're gonna, this is what we're gonna put out there. We're gonna get this word out. We're gonna buy advertising space and we're gonna do this. No, it just happens. It's just the nature of the new age. I mean, the real engineer of it is Satan, okay? So that's who's engineering it. The people doing these things think they're doing something good. They're doing what they believe. So you have these ideas that come from the new age. See, I have been around long enough to watch from the time I was in the new age to observe the mainstream culture and what's happening in mainstream to see that the new age has gone mainstream. When I was in the new age, it was not mainstream. Part of it was beginning to get mainstream, but it was still not mainstream. It's, it's most of it's mainstream now. Okay, yoga is very common, for example. You know, I did some yoga, but at that time it was considered kind of bizarre to do yoga. You know, it was kind of like a weird thing to do. It was sort of, it was seen kind of as exotic. You either were like some kind of, you know, not about your body or you were into Eastern religions to do yoga. Um, and it wasn't as popular and it was harder to find classes. Uh, unless you're in a big city, but it wasn't real common. Now it's really common. Now it's even in churches. Uh, that's one area that's really gotten mainstream and gotten into the church. Um, other areas are the al alternative healing, which I talked a little bit about when I talked about the invisible body and all of that. That's a big part of alternative healing. So I recently um, did a post, uh, it was really an updated post of a list of practices um, it's because somebody requested this and she had seen it before and I couldn't find it. I did all these searches and I can usually find if I look long enough and I couldn't find it. I couldn't even find it in my word document file. So I finally, I said, I'm just going to write, I'm going to write another one. So I did. This is a list of practices that you can take, have with you or give to a friend or give your doctor that says, I do not want these done on me. So in case you're in the hospital and you're unconscious or something, <laughs> you don't want these things done because now hospitals are allowing practitioners of these things to do them. So the list has, a, it's a long, it's a fairly long list. I tried to not get too long with it. I tried to put practices that are fairly common or are known and either are in hospitals or might be in hospitals one day. 
So I have things on there like acupuncture, acupressure, shiatsu, all based on Taoism, belief in chi and the meridians, uh, not based on science or medicine. Reiki, uh, hands of light, healing touch, healing hands. That's all energy healing, all a belief in energy healing. All, all of those things I just named um, are all energy healing. Uh, and, I, and I have a whole bunch of other stuff. And of course, I knew that some people were going to try to argue with me. So I had a big thing at the bottom. I have a big warning. <laughs> I am not putting this up to argue with people. This is for people who want it. <laughs> and I've already, I, of course, right away, you know, pretty soon I had people challenging me. I said, you're challenging me. I have that there because those are the facts. These are things I've dealt with for, you know, if you count the time I was in the new age, we're, we're looking at really a few, several decades here of experience and knowledge. So I said, I would never put anything up that I can't defend and support. Anyway, so um, that's, that's, that's an area, the alternative healing area, I think is one of the biggest areas that's gone mainstream and has gotten into the church and has corrupted the thinking of Christians, because now you have Christians accepting the idea of these frequencies and vibrations that you can heal with these frequencies and vibrations. This is an idea from the new age that I believed in when I was in the new age. Um, very common idea. And we're not talking about, you know, organic energy or energy that you can measure like electrical energy. We're talking about this kind of invisible spiritual energy. But, well, you know, people confuse the two. So there's a lot of pseudoscience and new age ideas. And a lot of the healing methods are based on either Hinduism or Taoism, especially. Uh, that's a big area. So that now also the words, um, I mentioned the language, the use of language. So um, I'll give a couple examples. Like one of them is um, like natural. I mentioned natural already, okay? That used to not really have any special meaning or it just had a normal regular meaning. Now it's kind of this magic word, like, you know, this is all natural or <laughs> natural medicine or natural healer. There's, this word is not recognized in the world of science because it has no meaning because there's no such thing as natural. Everything has chemicals. And um, I mean, even apples have mercury in them because the soil has mercury in them, in it. Uh, everything has to some degree something harmful in it. And of course we know from God's word that nature is corrupted. I mean, this is made very clear in Genesis three uh, that the earth would start producing thorns and it was going to be, Adam was going to have to labor hard to work the earth. And that hadn't been the case. So we see that the, the ground, the earth itself, creation itself was corrupted by sin. And then in Romans 8, it says the whole creation is, is groaning, waiting for, you know, the day of redemption. Now, I know some people say, well, that's referring to people. But I've read it several times. I think it refers to the whole creation, which, of course, God talks about in other places being, being burnt up and then restored. 
So we're in it. If we aren't in a corrupt creation, why do we have tornadoes, floods? You know, why do we have uh, you know hurricanes and uh, you know all these disasters, natural disasters, earthquakes? I mean, this is all. This is part of the the curse, the curse of sin. So nature is corrupt. So you know, there's nothing, and there's nothing special about something being natural. Uh, synthetic medicines can work just as well as, in fact, better because they have more a more powerful effect. But anyway, I don't want to get into that too much. But I, but what's happened in the church is I think the church has become more and more subjective, and actually anti-intellectual. And so what's happened is people are going by their feelings and going by. Um, also, it's become more pragmatic. So they're going by what they think works and by their feelings and by anecdotes and not by objective data and objective truth. That idea that that reality is based on objective truth, I think doesn't exist in the church anymore. There are Christians who have it and believe it, but it, I don't think it's very widespread. In my experience and what I deal with, it's not very widespread. And actually to even say it, some people would consider it, would criticize you for even saying that we should believe in objective truth, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. It's completely contrary to who God is. I mean, God exists. That is an objective truth. Whether we believe it or not, God exists. Jesus Christ exists, whether we believe it or not. This is reality. This is what reality is. And reality is rooted in the character of God. <laughs> it's like, it's like, for you to not want objective truth, do not want the support of objective truth for something, you are really not thinking like a Christian. You're thinking like a New Ager. New Agers, the way they decide things is how they feel or how, how if they have an experience with something and it's good, or if they try something and it works, then it's like, that's, that's, hey, that's true for me. That worked for me. So that's okay. You know, that's how they decide. I know because I was a new ager for so long. That's how I thought. And unfortunately, we have Christians doing the exact same thing now. Um, so, you know, this is one of the things I have to deal with in my ministry, which is why I'm talking about it. I'm not trying to make people feel bad or, you know, you know, I'm really I'm really not. So I hope nobody thinks I'm just, you know, being accusatory, but I'm concerned because when you start thinking this way, you are open to these new age ideas. And these new age ideas will take you away. You will mix, miss out on the richness of what God offers you as a believer rooted in his word and his truth. You will get caught up in something that will not be good for you. And you know, however, that might not be good for you. It's not going to be good for you or your relationship with the Lord. So I have seen this too often. I've seen the damage from this kind of thinking with Christians. Um, and some of them have realized it and recognized it because there are Christians who get involved in the new age. I just got an email today from somebody who as a Christian got involved in, in going to new age practitioners. And I've talked to these Christians before and they begin to, they think they're getting a benefit from it. And then they start rationalizing it or maybe they're angry at God 
and that sends them over to somebody else or they're going to somebody and they don't really recognize this person is new age they maybe the person talks about god and jesus and they think this person is really a christian and so they get caught up in these false ideas because of that so there are lots of different ways that someone can can be deceived and misled but it's happening a lot i mean satan satan is not going to stop trying to deceive either unbelievers or believers he wants to deceive both now i think it's easier to deceive unbelievers because christians do have we do have god's truth we have the holy spirit we have god's word but we have to stay anchored in that i mean i'm and i'm including myself you know I'm not saying I can't be deceived. I mean, maybe I won't be deceived by a new age idea because I recognize it, but I might be deceived by another idea that's false. So we, I think we have to recognize that. And I think God's word tells us that we can't become so confident of ourselves that we think, oh, well, I'm not going to trip up. You know, that's, that's pride. So we have to be humble and realize this. So unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of damage in the church from these new age ideas. And of course, another big area, well, there's two more big areas where I'm seeing it in the culture and in the church. Well, one of them is mainly in the church, but the contemplative mystical movement is another area that has gotten very, very big. And when I use that term, I don't mean the real meaning of the word because contemplation is a perfectly good word. <laughs> if you're using it correctly and here again you've got the misuse of language so contemplation actually means you know to actually contemplate something you're you're um thinking about it you're reflecting on it okay that's that is the normal contemplation but the way it's being used or the practices that are attached to that word now the practices are not using your mind there's, they're using these other methods like breathing a certain way and sometimes even repeating a word uh, like a mantra um, over and over again. Find a word. They'll say, well, pick a word from the Bible or a phrase from the Bible like, like Jesus or God is peace. And then you, that, that supposedly makes it Christian. And then you repeat that over and over and you get into this certain state with these kind of activities and then your mind is you're not thinking your critical thinking skills are gone and your mind is just kind of in neutral um and then it's open to any idea that may come in so these practices which would include things like guided meditation one of the things i've discovered is that a lot of these apps for your phone that are supposed to be christian are very new agey there's one called abide and it's scripture. It's like, well, this relax with scripture. You know, we're just gonna, we just do scripture. That's all we do. So I listened <laughs> to several samples of Abide because a couple of people had asked me about it. So I thought maybe I better, you know, maybe I better take a look at this. And oh man, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like, it's like being in the new age. I mean, they're doing this kind of guided meditation with these words to relax you. And, you know, it's this calming voice. And then they have you visual. See, what they do is guided visualization. Picture Jesus. They have one where you picture yourself on the boat with Jesus. And then the storm comes. And then, 
you know, Jesus says this, or you look at G Jesus looks at you when he calms the storm, they even change the account in the Bible so that it fits you because you're in the story. I mean, I was appalled. I was appalled. I was appalled by this. I was so, I was so mad when I was listening to this. You know, when I listen to these things and I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to the computer. I'm like, I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Jesus is looking at me. No, he's not. He's not looking at me. So anyway, I wrote up a very, a very frank critique of abide. And I, I called it, do not, I do not abide with abide. <laughs> so if you want to Google that, do not abide with the abide, Marsha Montenegro Facebook, you'll probably find it that way. So anyway, I, that's in, that's in the church. And of course, you know, when I wrote that post, a lot of people had this or had been, rec it had been recommended to them and they were like, Oh, you know, I was listening to it and I, I did think it was some of it was kind of strange or some of them recognized it. This isn't really listening to scriptures, you know, but I mean, a lot of people just thought it was a way to relax and they thought it was OK, but it's really guided meditation on there. Um, so that's another example. And that's all part of this contemplative movement where there's all this kind of mis it's all having to do about having an experience with God. So don't you want to experience God's peace? Don't you want to experience God? Don't you want to experience when you're praying to God? Don't you want to feel close to him? It's all about how you feel and see what God tells us. What does God tell us? He said, we walk by faith, not by sight. I think that's first Corinthians five. Maybe I could be wrong. It's first Corinthians. I think something. Is it 1 Corinthians 5? No, I think I'm thinking of another verse, but that's okay. I know it's in Corinthians. <laughs> maybe Sam, maybe do you know? Somebody can look what? it up. <laughs> Corinthians. What do you say? Might be 2 Corinthians, possibly. Okay, okay. It's, so it's, in the Corinthian wheelhouse. One, yeah. <laughs> one, one of those letters to the Corinthians. <laughs> and um, we walk by faith, not by sight. So we don't have to. Yes, it's nice if you feel closest with the lord it's nice if you feel the presence of the holy spirit there's nothing wrong with that but that's going to come about from your normal regular um you know bible reading normal regular prayer normal regular um bible-based worship you know the the ways that god tells us to worship him and honor him and seek him doing those things will bring about peace will bring about experiences sometimes you know with the lord but you don't necessarily feel something all the time and in fact maybe most of the time you don't i don't know you know i'm not going to speak for everybody but you go but you but what's sustaining you is your faith because your faith and your faith is built over time so these are like little shortcuts to try to find this experience with God, but these are not biblical methods. So I'm very concerned about that. Um, I was going to mention one more that's really big in the culture. It's not in the, it's not huge in the church, but it is in the church and it's mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness is really Buddhist, a form of Buddhist meditation. And it actually started with John Cabot's sin who 
is a Zen Buddhist and studied under a Zen Buddhist master. Most people don't know that. And he started this kind of meditation center at the, I think the University of Massachusetts Medical Center, like in 1978 or something like that. And he, it was for chronically ill patients and they would go there and do this meditation. And that was supposed to help them with deal with their illness. Um, you know, and they had a program on TV about it in the, like around 1990, I don't know when it was, maybe 1990, the mid 90s or something. And I happened to watch it. It was like a 2020 show that used to be a popular show. And they showed him there at the room where the people came. There was a big Buddha statue there. I mean, you know, he wasn't really hiding the Buddhism. <laughs> But then what happened is other hospitals across the country started doing this. And then it gradually spread. Mindfulness gradually spread more and more. More and more people started doing it. It spread beyond the hospitals. And then it finally just became this huge thing. And like around 2000, you know, a 2009, 2010, it was really gaining ground. Then it started getting into the schools. Um, it was being used in prisons, in the schools, health centers, uh, just everywhere. So I have four or five articles on mindfulness on my website, and I've done a few programs on it, um, you know, uh, radio shows or interviews. I've, I've talked about it before. Um, and so that's really big in the culture. Then there's, I've noticed, you know, now, of course, we have Christian mindfulness. And so some Christians, have gotten into Christian mindfulness and they, they sort of try to make it Christian, but you can't make it Christian because mindfulness in the sense of, of the way Buddhism, what Buddhism means by that word, it's a technique that is designed to, what, what happens is it's not about emptying the mind so much as it is stopping the mind from thinking, which is not exactly the same thing, I don't think. So I, I usually don't say empty the mind. I say, it's to put your mind in neutral so that you're not really actively thinking. And then your mind's just this kind of in this open state. You're really in an altered state. That's the same as a light hypnosis state. You're aware of your surroundings. You know where you are. You're not out of it. But you're, you're in this. You're not in your regular thinking state. And then you're just kind of open to anything. And if you do that on a regular basis, you eventually begin to accept ideas that you normally wouldn't accept. So it actually begins to alter your worldview. And you may have experiences also doing this, which will alter your worldview. Um, so that's what happened to me, because I mean, I did this for 12 years. So I, I know what it is and I know what it's like to do it. That's why I warn about it so much. And I'm so alarmed to see it so mainstream. Uh, fortunately, a lot of people who were promoting it, um, uh, I mean, a lot of other people who were seeing this huge promotion of mindfulness were questioning some of the studies and they were saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, were these, you know, is there really scientific evidence that, that it does all these good things? And when they looked at the studies, they found that they were flawed. Some of the major studies that had been used to promote mindfulness were flawed. They had used flawed methodology and they had not reported the negative effects. 
So after that, there was a, a group, somebody started, I think it may have been a woman, I'm not sure. She started something called the Dark Night Project. And they started gathering the data on the negative effects and how this has effect, had affected a lot of people negatively. And I actually read an article not very long ago on it. So they're still looking at that aspect of it. And they still say there is not enough scientific evidence to say mindfulness is necessarily going to do be beneficial for anybody. You know, yes, some people feel better when they do it, but we don't have scientific data. It's a very hard thing to study because how do you study the effect of a meditation on someone's mind? Because you're relying on what the person tells you, right? I mean, how you can't really study, you can't look at their brain and figure out what, what it's doing in there. I mean, yeah, they do because they look at brain waves and stuff, but they don't know what all that means really. But they have noticed the negative effects. So some people actually have had psychotic breaks. Um, they get disassociation from who they are. They feel like they, they, their identity is gone. Well, that's the whole purpose of it because mindfulness is designed to get you to, first of all, see that your thoughts are not you. Your thoughts in your mind are not who you are. So you look at these thoughts while you're doing mindfulness. You're supposed to observe your thoughts and realize, hey, those thoughts are being generated, but I'm not generating them. They're not from me. Those are just thoughts. That's just kind of something out there. That's not me. That's not who I am. So you, you, get, you get distance from your, from your mind and your thoughts. And that eventually is supposed to lead you to the realization that yourself does not exist because Buddhism does not believe the self actually exists. That's the whole goal. That's the long-term goal of mindfulness. And the reason they want you to realize that is because they think the reason you keep having rebirth and coming back in this lifetime is because you're attached to the idea of self. You're attached to the idea you're an individual. You're attached to this reality and this life. You have to break those attachments. So you have to cultivate detachment. That's the whole process of Buddhism. You have to cultivate detachment. And mindfulness is one of the major ways to do that. And that's why these people have these psychotic breaks. And a lot of these people are people who are mentally normal. They aren't, they don't have mental, yeah, people with mental problems definitely could have bad effects from it, but even people without mental problems have bad effects. So anyway, so I, I, have, I have a lot on mindfulness. That's a big thing in the culture. It's not really in the, I wouldn't say it's in the evangelical church. There are some Christians who do it, but I don't see it as, as big as the other the areas that I talked about, the contemplative stuff, the alternative healing. Um, and of course, another big area is the Enneagram, which I've done whole programs on. And um, unfortunately, that really is huge right now. That's even, that's more huge than, is huger a word? I should know I was a literature major. <laughs> uh, sure. It's it's huge. <laughs> and um it's really big. It's really taking up the church. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just sitting and watching it and it's sort of taking my breath away. I've been observing this for many years now. I started warning about it on Facebook in 2014 before most people knew what it was. My first article was in 2011. Um, it's a completely useless and valid tool. It's as valid as astrology. 
So, you know, if you think you're a number eight, you might as well say that you're a Libra with Pisces rising. It's just as valid, just as valid, no difference. Equally valid, equally invalid. <laughs> um, but now pastors are using it, pastors are teaching it. They're having workshops, they're using it with the pastoral teams are using it as a team. Some, there's one church, at least one or two churches where the pastors put their, their Enneagram number on their door. Um, I know so many people who have left their church because of this, so many. Um, and of course, my I wrote a book with two other people on it, the, uh, Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. That gives the history of it. It debunks a lot of the false falsehoods about it. Every single Enneagram book that has come out from um, what we consider to be an evangelical publisher like InterVarsity Press. They've done quite a few of them. Um, Thomas Nelson, Zondervan, and some others, all of them have false statements in them. They all say the Enneagram is ancient or it has Christian origins, or they may say, well, we think it has Christian origins, but we don't really know. Or, or they'll say, nobody really knows the origins. Well, yeah, we do. We do know the origins. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we know the origins. <laughs> it's black and white. The origins are 1916 with George Gurdjieff, who was like, he was like Armenian, Russian or Turkish Armenian or something. I always, I always forget what exactly he was, but George Gurdjieff was the spiritual seeker who patched together these different spiritual ideas. The Enneagram was his way of defining the cosmos. He said it was, it reflected cosmic reality and all the laws of the universe were in the Enneagram. And he did not talk about the types or that people fit into a certain area. That was not what the Enneagram was about. It supposedly he talked about the law of three and the law of seven and how you could see that in the Enneagram and the musical scale was in the Enneagram. And it was a very esoteric tool that was used also in his teachings um, to show how one awakens the process of awakening because we're all asleep, we're all born to sleep. We have to awaken to the reality of who we really are. Now, this is a very common um, esoteric uh, occult and new age idea that you find in both the occult and the new age. And, you know, even in new thought where I said that, you know, they believe Jesus came to teach us to, you know, perceive reality correctly. So you're perceiving it wrong. It's always about how you're seeing reality. There's, there's something wrong with the way you're seeing reality or you're seeing the wrong reality or something and you have to awaken. So this idea of awakening is in all, a lot of almost everything I deal with. Um, so he, he taught that and he had followers. And uh, for a long time, it was just his followers who used the Enneagram. Um, he also felt that the, the Enneagram was dynamic. It showed the dynamic movement of the universe. And that's why there are these dances that are choreographed according to Gurdjieff's teachings um, in keeping with the Enneagram. You can find them on YouTube. I used to post them when I was first exposing the Enneagram. And um, there are these people dancing and usually you can see an Enneagram in the background or on the floor. And they're doing these very strange dancing. The, 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 usually the music is kind of bizarre, uh, but they're doing all these synchronized movements that are like, it's not really dancing. It's like these movements that are supposed to show 
certain things that Gurdjieff taught. Um, so you can look at even just put Enneagram, Enneagram Gurdjieff dances or something in YouTube search box, and I'm sure they'll come up. <laughs> so anyway, um, gosh, I'm really talking a lot, aren't I? You guys haven't asked me any questions yet. <laughs> Do you have any questions about what I'm saying? I'm going to take a sip of tea here. Um, Sam, do you have anything so far? Um, it, would you mind jumping back to your your testimony for just a second? I, I had a question about that. It's it's kind of um okay we're talking about presently. Okay, um, I just thought it was really interesting because um, I had a, kind of a similar experience to yours, where I was really I was I was really involved not in the New Age but in Judaism. Um, I was going to convert and oh. stuff like that. Oh, and, okay, which is you know super gnostic. But um, I had this experience, I would say, I go back and forth about when I got saved, but I, I would say it was probably before I got saved where I had a very similar experience of the Trinity. And that phrase you said, waterfall of love really resonated with me because it was this very positive, very deep experience, but I don't know that I was saved. So I guess I was wondering if you had like reflected theologically on that period in your life at all, because obviously the Lord was drawing you in some sense, yeah. but maybe weren't like regenerated yet or because oh no i wasn't i definitely wasn't because at that point i was still had my new age views and i still mm -hmm. was doing us you know astrology and i was still in the new age way of seeing things the new age world of thinking i was definitely not regenerated or born again that happened yeah. that very specific moment i talked about when i was reading that right. passage in matthew and it's very crystal clear um, I think what happened in, at the waterfall experience, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I, my view is that, you know, that was the Holy Spirit. Mm. That, and I think all, the, all those months where I was feeling this compulsion to go to a church, I think that God, what God was doing then and after that thing happened with the waterfall of love, um, while, you know, when I got the impression astrology was God didn't like it and all of that stuff, God was breaking down barriers in me mm -hmm. that were very mm -hmm. hard. I had very hardened barriers yeah. and God didn't come with a big sledgehammer and just knock me over the head. <laughs> and I suddenly realized who Jesus was he, right. for whatever reason, he broke me down that way over a period of months. And actually, you know, I've heard other people's testimonies that they're not exactly like mine, but it's a similar idea where they kind of had to be broken down. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's something about they, what they believed or what they did, or maybe both. God like started breaking it down, like tearing it apart mm -hmm. so that they were either not clinging to it or didn't want to cling to it anymore or saw it for what it was, even if they weren't saved yet. They were like, God was kind of loosening them away from these these what a lot of people call strongholds that were really holding them in this this belief system that was completely hostile to right. christ right. and i i think that's what was happening i think that's what the lord was doing and he and he so he broke me down so i had the he he i guess for what you know of course god knows what he was doing <laughs> and apparently he thought i had to give astrology up before i could see who christ was and so I, cause I'm not saying that has to happen for everyone. I sure. think God can save somebody who's doing astrology and then they might realize later astrology is wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think they'd eventually realize it, but they might not realize it right away or they might, you know, they might realize it a month later, who, who knows, 
it doesn't have to happen the way it happened to me. It's just, right. that's just how God did it for me. And maybe that's because that's what I needed. Yeah. And so he had got rid of the astrology before I could see who Christ was. Hmm. That was apparently like, I think that was a huge barrier. So when I told people, well, somehow it was separating me from God, I think I was right, but I didn't hmm. understand why or what that really meant. You know, why right. would it be separating me from God? Cause I'm helping people. You know, that's what, that was why I was so confused. It's like, but God, I'm helping people. How can you be against that? You know, I just, and I wasn't, he didn't tell me why. <laughs> you know, I understood later, much, much later. I mean, I knew he didn't like it and it was wrong, but you know what? I, and I tell people this sometimes, and I know it sounds strange, but it took me about a year and a half after I was saved to understand what evil was. See, I didn't have a concept of evil because I didn't have a concept of the righteousness of God. Mm. And even when I was saved, I didn't understand that. If someone had asked me what that meant, I would have just said, well, it just means God is, is good or, or he's perfect or something like that. I didn't really understand it. And so it took a while for that all to sink in from, you know, reading more of the Bible, et cetera. Um, I eventually left that church, by the way, I, I had to, because I saw that where they were was not, it was not very solid, you know, uh, even though I didn't know the Bible well, and, 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 and didn't really understand a lot of things, there were different things God showed me that, okay, this is not the place for you, and I, and so I left and went to another church that was somewhat better, but still had problems, but then we ended up moving away from Atlanta. And then I went on a search for a church, you know, and, and eventually ended up in the church that I'm a member of now. So um, where I where I did get good teaching. So and then I, I also went to seminary later too, so that I could operate as a missionary and my church wanted me to get a formal education on you know, formal theological slash Bible education, because I didn't have that. And they said that you really need that if you haven't had that. So that was fine with me. I, I, I liked my, I liked seminary. I enjoyed the courses a lot, but um, yeah. So I, you know, God just, you know, he, he draws people the way that he sees fit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hear so many, I've heard so many different testimonies and it's so interesting how God has reached different people, you know, especially people who came to, came to faith as adults or later in life. I mean, I was really, my son was nine years old when I was saved. You know, I was not, I was not a young person at all. Um, and I was, I think I was very hardened against, mm -hmm. against Christ. I was very hard yep. and, and hostile. So the Lord just broke down those barriers. And some people maybe don't have to have this, you know, maybe they, or they have other barriers or who knows, but God, God knows the best way to reach each person. So, you know, whatever your experience was, God had that for some reason in your life, had you experienced that for certain reasons. Right. Amen. Okay, yeah. well, thanks for asking that question. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say too, what's amazing too, is like God providentially orchestrating our, our effectual calling of his drawing us to himself. And, and that is different for everybody you know and yeah um it, like i like how you mentioned it it's 
uh, for me, when I was converted, it wasn't like, oh, a snap of the finger, like my whole life was fixed or something, you know, it's it's like, I kind of see being born again is really a progression that you're, you're being sanctified through a lifelong process and being conformed to Christ's image. And that's not an overnight thing. Um, you know, especially, right? yeah, yeah. Sanctification. Yeah, definitely. And is a, a process, lifelong process, but I know people who are not sure when they were saved. Mm-hmm. and they you know either as children or as adults and they'll say well you know this happened and then later this happened and i looking back i'm really not positive mm-hmm. but i know now i am you know like they know they are saved they are in christ they'll be very clear about that but the exact moment and i think it's okay if you don't because some people think they have to know and i don't think you have to know i don't think you have to know and so um you know, what, what you, what is important is what you believe now. (laughs) What do you believe now? Not like exactly when did this happen, but what do you believe now? Are you really trusting in the true Jesus Christ now for salvation alone? Right. And that's, you know, so that's where, where, where we should focus and not make people feel like they have to know a certain moment. But, uh, and, and some people's story feel like, oh, you know, my story's so boring compared to yours. Well, no, every story is great because it's God taking this lost person who's in darkness and bringing them to light and, and giving them eternal life through faith in Christ. This is like, this is a very incredible thing for everybody who's saved. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe it's not as dramatic for everybody, you know, like people look at like the story of Paul was very dramatic. He was knocked off his, his, <laughs> his not to, I don't, I don't know if he was on a horse or not. He was knocked to the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a very famous painting of that, that I saw that was on tour here in Washington, DC. I wish I could, I, I can't remember the artist. Maybe it was Cav- Cavarello or something, Italian what? artist. Not Caravaggio, yeah. is it? Huh? Is it Caravaggio by any chance? Well, maybe I think it was Caravaggio. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's a very dramatic painting. He has a Paul's conversion. I really liked it. It's a very, it's really well done. It's very, it's really has an impact when you're standing there looking at, and it's large. You know, it's pretty large. So I enjoyed that exhibit very much. Um, So, yeah. So the Lord does things His way, the way He wants them and sees fit, and. yeah, so the new age, the, oh, here's the thing about the new age that, that's, I'm talking about how deceptive it is. And here's one reason it's deceptive is that it always seems helpful and beneficial and positive. So people just go for it because it's helped, it seems helpful. Well, this helped, this helped my friend. She went to this practitioner and it helped her. Um, you know, I don't really see anything wrong with it. I don't see how it's anti-Christian or anything. And the problem is that sometimes that's the case because they don't really know the Bible very well, or they aren't really solidly anchored in their faith. And they're open to accepting ideas that are foreign to it because they're just I don't know, they're not, they're not mature in the faith or something, or they're not they haven't been taught right, or they're in a bad church or whatever. There's so many reasons. Um, and that's why it's so important that we stay in God's word and we, you know, we, 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 we worship and that we stay in prayer and we, 
you know, it's so, cause we just, we just, our natural thing is to kind of drift. I mean, that's why God calls us sheep, right? I mean, sheep stray, you know, the shepherd has to keep them, <laughs> keep them together and they have to use a little, you know, a, a dog, a sheep dog or something that <laughs> barks and keeps them rounded up and everything because they just start wandering. If there's no shepherd there, they start wandering. And that's God calls us sheep for a reason. Uh, cause we do tend to wander. Oh, that we get distracted. Look at that. That's so that looks good. I think I'm going to go look at that, you know, and pretty soon you're at the edge of a cliff, but you may not even know it. So the new age for all, you know, it's, it's supposed appearances of goodness and, and being beneficial and being positive is extremely dangerous and extremely hostile to Christianity. It's not just that it's non-Christian, it's anti-Christian. It's anti-Christian. And I mean, the enemy is using it against, you know, the church, against the Christianity, trying to deceive people with it outside the church and in the church. Because if you go on the new age path, like I did, you can feel very spiritual and you'd feel like you're on a spiritual path and you, you don't feel like, well, I need a savior because well, in the new age, you don't even really believe in sin. Sin doesn't exist in the new age or it's redefined. So there's no idea that sin is going to be is something that you have to deal with. You know, that's not really, you, you don't think about that. You think more in terms of if you believe in reincarnation, you think about karma. You know, I need to learn my lessons now so I don't have to repeat them in my next life. And I need to not do things now that will cause me problems in my future lives you know so you think more in terms like that and you don't really you don't believe in absolute truth you don't believe that there's absolute truth out there you believe that truth is relative or there's many layers of truth or many dimensions of truth or you know people experience truth differently all these kind of ideas very common in the new age um and then, you know, another deception is that a lot of the new age or aspects of it will appear to be Christian. Um, I know a lot of these new age healers, a lot of people think some of them are Christians and I've listened to them. Like I've gone and listened to some of their programs and then I've, I'm like, no, I don't think this guy is a Christian. And if he is a Christian, he's not following scripture. And, you know, it's because of things that they're saying uh, they're new, they're based on new age concepts or things that they promote that are new age. So, I mean, one of them is very famous. I've had so many Christians get mad at me because of my post on Dr. Josh Axe, Dr. Axe, who's very popular, AXE. I mean, I kept hearing about him. Oh, he's a Christian. He's a Christian doctor. Well, he's really, I think he's a chiropractor and a naturopath, which is not a doctor. Um, I've watched a program he did. I actually watched a couple of programs and listened to him and he uses new age language, but he's not obvious about it. And he talks about God and he talks, I can see why people think he's a Christian, but he had an astrologer on his program and he had the astrologer talking about health um, or some kind of product or products. And it involved a belief in astrology and Dr. Axe was completely okay with it. And I said, okay, wait a minute, hold on here a second. 
Hold on just a second. This is confirming all my suspicions because I was already thinking, I'm not sure this guy is a Christian. And if, or if he is one, he's a very confused, deceived one. And he's okay with this astrologer, even to the point of having him as a guest on his program. No, no, that doesn't compute. That doesn't compute. So I did a big post warning about him. So, you know, you, we really, not only do we have to be discerning, but we have to be willing to take the stand God takes on something, even if we like it. You know, oh, but I think this guy is giving good advice. Well, if he is coming from a, a point where he's actually teaching things opposed to God or teaching things based on new age concepts, whether he's a Christian or not, really, in my opinion, is irrelevant. What matters is what's he, what is he teaching? And if he is teaching stuff that is opposed to, to Christ and not be, it's based on spiritual concepts opposed to Christ and it's not based on objective data, that's not something God would, would approve of. You know, that's not, that's not something God would be okay with. We have to have the same attitude God does, you know, and sometimes that's hard. That's hard sometimes, but anyway, so I'm giving a speech now. <laughs> I don't want to give a speech. <laughs> I got a question for you. Yes. Yes. So I was thinking, like you, you mentioned a lot of these experiences. Well, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of concepts that like lead to experiences people have. And I'm sure that gives people a validation of like, oh, this is this is real because I'm ex I'm really experiencing something from it. Right. Um, and I think that can be even be related, not just with new age and sure, but it, also with a cult or whatever these people oh, have yeah. these genuine experiences yes. that leads them to believe it's true um right and um i actually have a a friend and I, i'm just always often striked by the the kind of arrogant pride some of these people in these movements have because they really believe they're special because they're receiving you know words from some higher power and they're writing out notes about it or or things yeah. like that and and they take great pride in their experiences do you think these experiences are genuinely real that they're having but you would just say that they're satanic or demonic in nature or what's what's your kind of take on some of these experiences that draw people in and keep them in yeah i think if they're coming if it's a spiritual experience or they see it as a spiritual thing and it's really affecting them and affecting their worldview yeah i think it's real I think it's real. I don't think it's what they think it is, you know, because they're deceived. They may think it's an experience from God or an experience from Jesus or some kind of experience of truth or whatever. Um, yeah, I think now maybe some of it, some of it could be imagination. I mean, you can't rule out imagination, but I think people, I mean, I know I had real experiences that were I mean, the experience itself was real. It was based on falsehoods, so that it was a real experience. And so it's very convincing. You know, it's very hard when somebody experiences something, it's very hard to convince them it's either not true or it's not good, or it's based on falsehoods because they actually experienced it firsthand. And that's, that's how a lot of people are deceived. They're deceived through experiences, not just through false ideas, but through the actual experience. And I mean, this, for example, this happens with the Enneagram. People go, you know, they get their number done or whatever. And then they have, they go to an Enneagram coach who talks to them about their number. They read a book and they think, yes, 
I really, you know, I really do feel that I'm a seven. That really makes sense. That's why I act this way towards my husband. That's why I, I'm act this way towards my children, blah, blah, blah. That explains everything. So that be, that's becomes my reality. That becomes my truth. And even if they're told this has no validity and it's not based on anything objectively true and it's coming from the new age, there's, they will still sometimes cling to it because they had an experience. It makes it very real. Or people have the experiences with the contemplative practices and feel that they were really close to God or God was really talking to them or whatever they feel. That's, I think they do have a real experience, but it's coming from, and, and where is it coming from? I think it can be different places. It could be coming from an actual kind of sensual experience that has to do with the body and the way they're feeling, feeling good, you know, like endorphins or something from whatever they're doing. Um, if they're really thinking they're, God's talking to them or whatever, I mean, that could be demonic. Um, so I don't know all, I can't say, of course, cause I don't know where, how all these experiences are exactly happening. I just know they do. Um, but they're not from God when they come from practices that are based on things that are opposed to God. There's those things are not from God. That's just so helpful. Like, because I, this is a good reminder, I think to us and our listeners, like how important it really is to be in the word and, yes. and, and yeah. believing what the word says and even allowing that to shape our experiences, like allowing the word to shape what we believe and how we feel about things is so vitally important. Um, instead of running to the Bible, almost like, oh, well, you know, this thing happened in Acts where the spirit did this. And therefore, yeah. this weird experience I'm having must be, you know, from the Holy Spirit, because you see a lot of that stuff. Oh, big, yeah. Big and like, you know, Bethel Church and a lot of these huge yeah. movements that yeah. have a lot of new age uh, stuff oh, in their churches and in their literature as well. Yeah, that's because they do. They have bad theology. And they, and I don't, I don't deal with them, but I'm very familiar with them. And, and years ago, I actually was interviewed about, about them for a CRI journal magazine, me and somebody else, they, she interviewed two people. Um, and I was very aware of that movement and those people. I actually took some workshops on their teachings. Uh, I don't deal with them because I see them as sort of a cultic movement within the church. And um, my area is really dealing with the new age deception, well, it's in the culture, but also the new age deception in mainstream evangelical Christianity. That's really where my focus is, the mainstream church. I don't consider Bethel and the, and the NAR churches mainstream. They are, they are off. They are not, <laughs> they're like an appendage, but they're not, I think they're cultic. And I think that, not occultic, but cultic. And I think uh, they have very bad theology. Um, they aren't being taught uh, sound doctrine. They aren't being taught, uh, and their pastors and leaders either don't know good hermeneutics or don't practice it and don't teach it. So they are getting all these bad teachings, especially about the Holy Spirit. And they're very much into super the supernatural, the world of the supernatural. And when you get focused on the supernatural and that becomes your arena to have your relationship with God and to have your spiritual life, you're going to get caught up in deception because the supernatural is very, very, very tricky. And God actually doesn't tell us to go into that area. <clears throat> you know, he actually warns us to stay away from it. 
because this that is the area that God deals with. That is the area where, you know, the unseen, um, you know, it talks about in Ephesians, Ephesians 6 and the spiritual warfare, our weapons are not of, of, of this earth, but they're, but our weapon, what are our weapons? They're faith. It's the righteousness we have in Christ. It's God's word is the sword. It's, it's not supernatural, you know, doing weird supernatural things. <laughs> and we aren't to jump into the world of the supernatural and try to engage with it. Oh, no, no. That's what the occult does and the new age as well. And when you do that, you are so open to deception because, and you will get experiences. When you, I often say, when you seek an experience, you will have it. If you're really seeking it and wanting it, you will have it, but it may not be what you, you want, um, you know, and that's a pro. So I don't think we are to seek ex spiritual experiences. Um, there's nothing wrong with having it, as I said earlier, but it should be a, a, a product of what we are doing in our normal day-to-day -day relationship with the Lord and day-to-day -day Bible reading, et cetera. Um, so because they're so open to the supernatural, they take these ideas that are new agey and they try to Christianize them and, uh, or they see them as Christian, you know, kind of like, well, it's the same thing. The psychic is, has the same gift that I do, but they're just using it for a bad purpose. You know, that's like a real common idea I hear. I heard even before like Bethel was popular um, it's like, no, no, what the psychic is seeing and doing is not a gift from God. It has nothing to do with God. <laughs> it's demonic. Um, something I didn't mention was, you know, I talked about seeing my spiritual master. Well, that, that was spirit guides. So people in the new age and the occult have spirit guides. And these, who are these spirit guides? They're fallen angels. And, you know, of course, people who do these things think that these spirit guides are benevolent. They may think they're good. They may think they're good angels. They may think they're ascended masters. They may think they're, you know, beings from another dimension or be or even aliens or whatever they think. But, you know, see, that's delving. When you delve into the spirit world, that's why, you know, God condemns spiritism. The, the attempted contact with spirits, with the spiritual world. God condemns it. He forbids it. Deuteronomy 18, 10, and 11. Um, it's not just calling up the dead that he condemns. It's, it's spiritism. You know, do not consult a medium or spiritist. Uh, so, you know, they're both contacting the medium, thinks they're contacting the dead, but of course they're just contacting a fallen angel and a spiritist may think they're contacting some kind of spirit that's who whether they think it's good or bad it's going to be a fallen angel we're not we're not we're not supposed to go into that realm we don't have the ability to deal with it yeah well i'll stay away from it then you know so. okay <laughs> did i convince you yeah yeah i'm convinced <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, I think that I've covered, um, I mean, I, I mean, of course, there are always areas I could go on, but I, I've actually been talking for a while. I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, I know, oh I forgot goodness. to give you your warning because I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I get on a roll there and I kind of go and since you were letting me go as long as I, I seem to want to go. Of course, I just kept going because things kept coming 
you know, to my mind. Um, I never have trouble talking. It's, you know, a good and bad thing, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, I guess in this case it's good because I I think I covered a lot, but you know, that's really what I talked about. There's really so much more, Sure. you know, that's just like kind of a few slices of it. Yeah. Well, this has been incredible. Sam, did you have any uh, questions remaining for no, I just wanted to thank you, Marcia, because this has been, I mean, insightful on so many levels, but I, I especially appreciated what you had to say about feeling and religious experience. Um, our Scott Clark has this idea called the quest for illegitimate religious experience that happens outside of reform circles. And like, oh, oh. you know, this this idea, he's talking more about like revivalism and stuff. And like, oh, okay. Yeah. He's saying like, basically, like in the sense that you're saying like, ordinary use of the means of grace of the word and prayer and fellowship with believers is how we're going to get contact with God. It's not, you know, these extraordinary kind of, yeah. um, you know, so I, I really appreciated that. Okay. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. This has been phenomenal. Marsha, we're so appreciative of you and what you're doing for the kingdom of God and helping yeah. people understand these things. It's, um, Praise the Lord. yeah, we're very uh, grateful for you and, and everything you're doing. Uh, did you have any remaining thoughts that you wanted to, any remaining? Uh... Um, I guess I'll tell people how they can find my material. Yeah. And I, I have a website, christiananswersforthenewage.org. I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier. I meant to, but I don't think I did. So I have a lot of articles there. If you go to the articles page, lots of articles on the new age and occult topics, new age books, et cetera. Um, also, if you go to the schedule page where I list, uh, actually my webmaster does it. He lists um upcoming talks or if when this goes on air you know the link will be put there to this program and so if they want to look at programs that i've been on they can just go there because all the links are there and so the recent ones should still be up you know if you go back over a year or something they may not you know i don't know if they're still online or not but you can at least look at recent ones Um, so those are resources for people i also have a a Facebook ministry page, Christian Answers for the New Age. And I post things there related to my ministry all the time. So that's a page you can follow where I I pretty much, I I just stick to that. That's my focus there. I do do, I post sometimes just theological things like, you know, I'll post, I, I love the book of Jonah. And so one time I posted this thing on it and because I was getting mad that they're, they're like Christians who are saying Jonah, the book of, you know, Jonah didn't really exist. And um, I was hearing, beginning to hear that. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> if you look at the very first line of Jonah, you know, it says the word came to Jonah, the son of I mean, that's like a, a formula you see in the Old Testament when God's revealing things to his prophets. And I'm like, if Jonah didn't exist, that's a strange thing for God to say the word of the word of the Lord came to some guy who didn't exist. What? No, that's not that. Would God say that? No. And of course, Jesus referred to Jonah. So anyway, I got all worked up over that. and I did a post. on it. <laughs> so every once in a while, I go off into these little theological things that I like to talk about and i do want to put those things there for non-christians because my christian answers for the new age facebook page is also for non-christians especially those in the new age and the occult 
and I welcome them, I invite them, I want them to ask questions, and sometimes they do, and I have dialogues with them, so the Lord is using that, so that's, it's kind of a mission, partly a mission field for me, um, and the other, uh, of course, Richard Warren, the Enneagram Secret is the book on the Enneagram written by myself, and John and Do uh, Don, John and Doy, Don and Joy Vino, <laughs> um, and that's all about the Enneagram. Richard War, who has a big influence on it, that I didn't get to talk about tonight. I could I could do another program with you guys on Richard War. Yeah, that sounds great. Because uh, yeah. he's really, unfortunately, has an influence in certain areas of the evangelical church. Uh, and then um, I do have a book that goes back to 2006 called Spellbound the paranormal seduction of today's kids. And that is about the occult. And I take uh, the terms from Deuteronomy 18, 10 and 11 and discuss each term and what it means and how we see those practices today in the culture. And uh, it's on Kindle. Um, sellers have it, you can't, you have to buy it from a seller. And for whatever reason, the prices vary dramatically. Like sometimes you can get the book for $10 and sometimes it costs like $85. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand how the prices work on Amazon, but apparently they're very, they're very um, flexible. <laughs> very moody. And so, you know, I'm sorry, I have no control over that, but if you can always get it on Kindle and some people don't even realize you can download Kindle free on your, if you have a laptop or computer, you can download it for free. And certainly on your phone, so you can read read it that way. So those are the resources, and I'm welcome to you people messaging me if they have questions. Awesome. And quick, were you on the American Gospel talking about Richard Rohr, correct? Yes, that's right. Yes, I was on American Gospel 2, Christ Crucified, where he um, did the program. The whole thing is on progressive Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I, there's like chat, I think chapters three and four is the two area, the two, he has it divided up to chapters. I was in those two chapters and a big part of that was talking about Richard Rohr. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I saw you on there. Yeah. I saw oh, that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was, that was really interesting to do that. That was kind of, that was kind of fun. That was, um, cause I, I had, I definitely wanted people to know about him. So I was very motivated to speak. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty popular evangelical film out there that i think it's you know i think it was even on netflix for a time and so a lot of that stuff got out there to a lot of yeah you know, to the public in a pretty good way so yeah, that's great that's, yeah it's good what he did doing that film that guy who does it brandon kimber yeah, yeah. Great. he's great great well uh marcia thank you so much again thank you nate thank you sam for uh, for having me i enjoyed being on your program thank you so much all right. Good stuff. So this is Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation all life. Until next time, God bless.